All right, if you have your scriptures, either paper, iPad, iPhone, uh, turn to chapter 10, book of Exodus. We continue our journey. My wife, Kathy, and I, every morning, we go through the Psalms. It's kind of our devotion time. She always has her quiet time. I have mine. But when we come together, uh, the Psalms is where we go. And this morning, the 36th Psalm. And as I read that, I couldn't help but think of what an apt description of Pharaoh. Now, Sue, I found this early this morning, so you don't have them, okay? (laughs) It says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while he's on his bed. Pretty good description of Pharaoh. Every night when he went to bed... He really wasn't thinking about the revelation that he had received. I think he was trying to figure out how he and his gods were going to defeat this God that had come against him. This morning I titled the message, Dumb, Dull, Witted. And uh, I'm not being hateful or abusive. Uh, when you look at the word hardened that's used throughout this book, uh, there's a number of things that that means. It, it can be, it can mean, uh, hardened as hardening. It can mean, uh, that he is simply insensitive to what has been said. Or it can mean dull-witted. Uh, no doubt though, he was hardened. Uh, that's one of the one questions that has asked me so many times. In the Old Testament, if you have a King James, there's a word in there called hearken. And uh, in the newer translations, it's simply hear. But it's more than that. Uh, How many of you can remember the day when you're in your neighborhood playing and all of a sudden it's around lunch and everybody's name begins to call, Johnny, Joe, Bill, and you continue playing. Mama call again. You continue playing. And then she uses magic words, all three of your names. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you run home. And the first thing that she says when you get there is, didn't you hear me? Well, she didn't really mean, did the audio waves that go through the air penetrate your eardrums, bouncing off of them and in transmitting to your brain that mommy's calling. She didn't mean that at all. She wants to know why, when you heard your name, didn't you come? You see, you could be hardened, you could be insensitive, you could just be decide you're not going to listen. And that's what we did. Because why? We knew that mom had two to three and sometimes four levels that she would go to and we had all that time to finish up whatever we were doing. We well, see that's what Pharaoh's been trying to do. We have seen him be deceitful. 
He, we have seen him try to make deals as we will see again today with God because Har- Pharaoh was intent on simply getting his will done. Now, as I've explained to you, the battle of the 10 plagues were a battle against the major gods of Egypt. Uh, put that, those up there. These are the gods that we have encountered so far. Uh, that's Hapai. He's the god of the Nile. Do you remember? He, they, the Nile was turned to blood. All right. How about the next one? Hecate. He, was, he had the head of a frog. I've seen this in a museum in Egypt. He's just, just a booger-looking guy. He'd have a hard time getting a date on Saturday night. But uh, he, So against the, the god of the frogs, God sent frogs. Now, remember on those two, the magicians could add blood and they could add flood, uh, frogs, which seems like adding problems on problems. But this, this is the second God. Next God. Gib. He was God over the dust of the earth. What happened? Moses slapped the dust of the earth and gnats, no seams, went everywhere. Kefir. He had the head of the fly. I've seen all of these guys. They're boogery-looking creatures. I don't know why anybody would worship them. But anyway, you could call him the Lord of the flies. And there was a plague of the flies that said to Egypt, basically, on all of these gods, you like these gods? Okay, I'm going to give you more of them. What's the next one? Hathor. That was a goddess of love and protection. Well... That plague was the death of the livestock. Next plague. Iris. Isis. She was the god of medicine. Well, the plague, the boils and sores. Nut. <laughs> That's a pretty good name for a false god, isn't it? <laughs> nut. He's a nut. Uh, he's a god of the sky. And so in response to that, we have hail. Seth. He's the god of the storms and dishonor. He had he's, he was worshipped as hail. Okay, Ra. He was the sun god, and as we see today, God came against that god with darkness for three days. That god could not control. Let's go to uh, chapter ten, verses one and two. Do we have those two? Okay, I'll read them to you. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly call. Excuse me. I jumped over to Hebrews. I'm going to get with it this morning. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. And why did God do this? He explains it again and again. That I may show the signs of mine among the Egyptians and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandsons how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. You see, here's the setting. We sometimes forget this. We'll read these stories in the Bible and we think it's like a novel. 
God just has a lot of information and he wants to put it down and we get it and we try to memorize. Remember when you were in Sunday school, you memorized the 10 plagues, you memorized the 10 commandments, but we never ever really put it in perspective. This is a group of people, the Jewish people. They came into Egypt 70 strong, and now they are in the millions of people. God used Egypt as kind of a hothouse to develop a nation that would fulfill the promise of Abraham, who said, your seeds will scatter. They'll be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. You simply cannot count them. They were there. They had been crying for deliverance, and God was going to deliver them. But where he was going to deliver them was a place called Canaan. And in Canaan was not much different than Egypt. Canaan had gods. They had many, many gods that they worshipped. And so God is trying to place within the mind, you know, talk to your sons. Talk to your grandsons, which means great-grandsons, and on and on. Back then, history was, was uh, passed down orally. And so I want you to know these things. Why did I came against them? I want you to know these gods. I want you to know their faults. Because he's taking them to a land that they are to become the light of God. They're to go in there and not just conquer and take over the land, but they are to be a light to these people in that land, which looks to the future calling of God of the Gentile nations. But we know that when they got there, they didn't learn very many lessons, did they? It wasn't long instead of them talking about the one true God, it was them bowing down to their ashes, their, their idol worships. It was them who took on the gods. And what is amazing, when we, you read through that, conquering of that, all the way through Joshua, you find out that the people that feared the one true God was the nation that they were coming against. Did you ever pick that up in your reading? They feared this God. And Israel, somehow, once they got free, tossed the shackles off and thought, okay, God, we can take it from here. My wife and I raised three boys. And on a pastor's salary, new stuff was rare. And I can remember an occasion that we went out. It may have been Easter. You know, at Easter, used to, you got new shoes. You know, you always look for Easter for for candy and new shoes. Uh, well, we bought them new shoes and we'd gone shopping and it was pouring down rain like crazy. And we got home and they tried on their new shoes and it kind of stopped raining. Oh, we want to try them out. So we said, look, you can't use walk in these shoes in mud puddles and water. You can't do it. You can't walk with these shoes in mud puddles and water. And so, okay, Dad, they hit the door. Cassie and I stood there looking outside, and there they are. They jumped in every mud puddle. They ran through water. They, they just went crazy. And then they come running back in the house, and they had a big smile on their face. And they announced to us, Dad, Mom, these shoes work in mud and water. 
They didn't quite get the message. And you see, that's the key. Not only had Pharaoh not quite got the message, neither did the children of Israel. Why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? That is a question that many of you have asked me uh, throughout this time. And, you know, it, it's hard to really come up with a, with a good answer because you're trying to have uh, the mind of God. But in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, we find that answer. Apostle Paul answers that. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul's answer, by no means. What's the question? Is there injustice? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on the human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. We have to become comfortable as Christians on the justice of God. Now, I'll grant you, we don't always understand that. I don't always understand that. We try to come up with answers, and there's certainly some things that may explain. But let me go right down to the root of the very issue that no one is getting today. And so many times, we as Christians forget God is a sovereign God. God can do anything he pleases every time he wants to do it. And everything that he does pleases him because he's the God of creation who before the foundation of the earth had in his mind every day that would be lived here before Christ returned. Can you, that's hard to wrap your head around it, but God just did not create something and say, I wonder what I'm going to do with it. God had a plan and purpose. Not only that, he knew you before you were born. Not only that, before there was your family. Before the foundations of the earth, God knew us. And God is sovereign. God is just. And what he does, whether we understand it or not, is absolutely perfect. And Paul wrote a promise for we who trust him, all things. Work together for good. For those who love God, too many times we stop there, right? I love God. Everything's going to be all right. Now, Paul puts some other words. He said, to those who are called to his purpose. You see, you can name the name as Pharaoh many times has said, I've sinned Moses Go out and ask God to stop this plague, and I'll let you go. Moses goes out. He prays. He doesn't let this. He stops the plague. Pharaoh hardens his heart. You see, it's not, as that scripture said, 
human will. It's not how much we exert. It's the will of God. And when we walk in the Spirit, and the goal of our life is to honor God with our life. The goal of our life is that everything that we think or do bring honor and glory to Him first. Then that seems to put into motion something that is blessed because it comes from the mind of God. You must get comfortable in the absolute knowledge that God is a just God. There's a one in, passage in Hebrews. Let me read that to you right quickly. In Hebrews th- chapter 3, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, as on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They do have not known my ways, and I swore in my wrath, I would not, they would not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart. Now, you say, you're sitting there saying, uh, now, Pastor Cliff, you don't know me very well. You haven't been around here for a while. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian 50 years. I, I've been a Christian since I was a kid. My parents are Christians. I want to tell you today that Christians can fall away from believing God. Now, I'm not talking about a salvation issue. As I shared with you, once you know Christ personally, He's your Lord, your Savior, your Master. Once you experience that, nothing can take that away from you. But there is a falling away when we, as those that are called by His name, begin to fall away with unbelief. How do we do that? Very simply, we begin to make conditions on what we're going to believe. Will it fit in with the crowd that I'm talking to? Uh, Will it help me along in my business? Will it gain me something economically? Will it make sure that nobody casts attention on me and think that I'm weird? We need to understand that every word written in the Word of God, is absolutely true. It's succinct and it's there for an absolute reason. For us, for no other reason than by faith, trust what God has asked us because our trust is not in what He's asking us. Our trust is in the one who asks. It's like this. When God speaks, you can go to bank on it because He has a purpose. He has a will. And in that will, he wants us to abound in life, abound through COVID, abound through sickness, abound through financial problems, abound when children go astray. And that is absolutely possible because God said we can. But too many times we bring out the scales. What God says And what I know I can do. And it always tilts like this. You see, what God calls us to is not what we can do. Because without God, we can't do anything. 
Without God, Moses could not have done anything. Aaron could not have done anything. There is the spirit of God that indwells his people whereby he empowers us to do what we think is impossible. You see, there's something else going on here on the side of the Jewish nation. The Jews had prayed and prayed and cried out for a deliverance. Get us out of here. Send a deliverance for us as you have promised. The Jewish people were watching the hand of God come against the Egyptians. And it would come and it would go as Moses directed under the leadership of God. And so God is being evangelistic to the Egyptians so that they can become disgusted. Uh, In this 10th chapter, Pharaoh's servants come to him and say, look, we've had enough. Let these people go. The magicians on another occasion, when a plague came against uh, Egypt, the magicians, the sorcerers, they said, this is the finger of God. So there was a witness of God to the Egyptians that they would believe. But there was a witness to the Jewish nation as he began to fortify them, to put strength in their very being, because they were going to leave. Listen, they had the Red Sea facing them. I want you to think about the situation. Now, many times when we view them coming up to the Red Sea, we think about like a little huddle of people, right? Like maybe us. We all get out, and today we go to the Tomoka River, and we're standing there. Now, you're talking about almost 2 million people. They were spread out. And there's this water, and it's flowing. Now, unlike some liberal theologians that said it was the Reed Sea, and it was only ankle deep, they don't realize what a miracle that would be for God to take ankle deep water and heap up a wall. He could do that. But in this instance, it was deep water. Well, they decide, well, maybe we ought to go back. And then so they turn around, and here comes Pharaoh with the greatest army in the world. And he is coming. You see, sometimes God encourages and woos us to follow his will. Other times, he's going to put the army of Satan right behind us in order to move us, to get us to where he can actually move through us, bless us, strengthen us, and help us to be a blessing and a light to other people. God was forming a nation. God was saying, I want you guys to never forget the wonders and the signs that I did. And you know, little did they realize That would be the strength and the encouragement. That would be why Joshua, a guy like Joshua, when he, the reins of command was turned over to him, said, for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Only be courageous and go. Friends, I want to say something. We need to be a very courageous people. I talk to folks that, have not been here for a while, for whatever reason. 
And a lot of it is people are huddled in their homes still in fear. They're afraid to go out. They need encouragement. Many others have simply lost the habit. They haven't been out in so long. They've got used to whatever they do. You see, when the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself, he does that because there is an energy, there's a synergy, there is a lifting, there's a strengthening, there's an encouragement when God's people come together. We, I send you out every week. Go be an encouragement. Go talk to people. Invite someone to come. You never know that one that you invite may need Jesus more than they need a church. That was free, not part of the message, okay? There's another lesson we learn here, and you probably have heard this before. I heard it as a young pastor. Years ago, a guy named E.J. Daniels. Does anybody remember evangelist E.J. Daniels? Anybody in here? Well, he was a, a top evangelist. And he had a three-part message. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. As I've read through these plagues, and I've read what's happened to Egypt, what's happened to Pharaoh, what happened to that nation after Egypt or after the Jewish people left. It went further than Pharaoh ever thought it would go. It lasted longer than he ever thought, and it cost him, in the end, much more than he ever wanted to pay. God, Pharaoh, you see, had a God complex. Pharaoh wanted to be God. In chapter 10, verse 7 through 11, we find these words. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? See, the servants are smarter than Pharaoh. Let the men go, that they may serve their Lord, their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? See, this has been a contention. From the very beginning, Moses said, We're all going. All of our livestock, all of our sheep, we are leaving to go and worship our God. Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he, Pharaoh, said to them, the Lord be with you. Get these words. The Lord be with you. If I ever let your little ones go. Look at the point that the hardening that God has allowed in Pharaoh's lives, he would lie before and say, go. And then he'd change his mind. Here, he just said, you, go back to that verse, Sue. The Lord be with you. That starts off pretty good, doesn't it? If I ever let you and your little ones go. Go ahead. Look. You have some evil purpose in mind. No, go. The men among you and serve the Lord, 
for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. To continue the story in verse 16 and verse 17. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Hold it there. This, when they went out, the plague of locusts came. And the locusts just simply ate everything that was in their way. Their livestock had been ruined. Some of the trees had been torn down. Now, all of their crops, not only crops, but trees, anything that was green, the locusts came in and they wiped it out. You had bare wood. So, again, he hastily calls them back and, and said, I've sinned against the Lord. Now, listen to me. Do you really think that was a repentance or con job? A true repentance would be the next thing you can go, and he would have let them go. You see, guys, we can always admit we sinned. I mean, if you ever, I don't know about you, but sometimes if you ever just did something, you say, yeah, that was a sin, I shouldn't have, and gone on your way. We see John wrote to us in 1 John something very, very important. He said, I'm calling you not to sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and cleanse you for all unrighteousness. Then he tops it off by saying, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and you make God a liar. Just saying, I have sinned against the Lord. God's always waiting, thinking, what's next? Is there any repentance? Is there any remorse? Is there any sorrow for your actions? And I want to share with you, according to scriptures, when we just acknowledge, okay, I've sinned, I give up, and we continue in that way, the heart that we carry within us begins to harden even as Pharaoh's heart hardened. Because we can begin to justify it. God didn't do anything to me when I did that. No. Sinned against the Lord and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin only this once and plead with the Lord your God. Only to remove this death from me. That's all he was after. That's all he was after. Paul before Agrippa, King Agrippa, has spoke to him. And Paul said this, I know you know the scriptures and the prophets. And after he had talked at length, King Agrippa said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. I'm wondering how many of you are living in the land of the almost. Almost believing that Christ died for your sins. Almost believing that you really need to come to Christ. Almost believing that you can really live out the life of Christ. Almost believing that Christ, the life that he gave you, you're to give him back. Almost to believe that there is a power within you that Satan and this world cannot come against. 
I call for you this morning to leave the land of the almost. Repent. It may be repenting of simply disobeying God and what he has for your life. Because you see, this story is not isolated. You can continue to say no, but God takes your no. And when God is silent, that's the time to fear. But see, there's hope. As long as the one that offers us life is alive. And I can proudly say, Jesus Christ is alive. He's enthroned. He'll meet you this morning. I'm going to be right over here if you'd like to have prayer. If you want to know more about knowing Jesus personally, you come talk to me. Catch me outside. I'm available because I want you to know Christ. I want you to know a life of peace that goes beyond understanding. Father, today we stand on your word that you will accomplish what you have set out to accomplish. And we thank you and we ask you to draw to you those you are calling in Christ's name.